Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Mindfulness of Doom. Mindfulness of Doom. My name is Corey Hardacre. I am your co-host. My other co-host, Brian Lemmerman, and I have not released an episode in several months. Ooh, that's embarrassing. Well, both of us had recently had new life adventures that we went out to experience. Well, sorry, we've been a little bit busy, but we expect to have new episodes out for you soon. So, to make up for that fact... We are releasing this bonus episode. It is an extension of the conversation that we had in episode 42, The Answer to Life, the Universe, and Everything, with Rabbi Adam Gindia. When we finished that episode, we just kept talking for like another two hours afterwards, and we had some amazing conversations. So if this is your first time to Mindfulness of Doom, thank you for coming to listen but I'd recommend that you start with another episode. I recommend episode 42, 39, or 34 are excellent starting points to us. But if you have been a long-time listener and you just have been itching for more doom, this is a great holdover until we get some new episodes out to you. Brian starts us off by telling us the story of how he was hit by Alexis while riding his bicycle. He had a, a bit of a hard time with his brain. The first half of this episode is going to be him telling that story. And about halfway through, the conversation picks back up and we discuss all sorts of things from ghosts to hallucinations, religion, life lessons learned from video games, taking a call from a listener, and the philosophical idea of creation as an excretion. It's disjointed and poorly edited, but so is life. So enjoy the show. Welcome to Mindfulness of Doom, a weekly podcast about life, peaceful living, and existential dread. You're not lost. Everyone's faking it. And the purpose of life is um, enjoy the show. As I was recovering from the brain injury and trying to relearn how to navigate three-dimensional space as a human body, I started to have these... What was that like? Wait, before... That, I feel like you just glossed uh, over something really it's intense. A lot, a lot of things were... Um, a lot of things were different. Um, for the first few weeks, I just stayed in bed. Were you physically okay besides that? I didn't break anything. It was, it was a little hard to walk for a couple of weeks. I had a, a lot of bruises and uh, blood. There was, there was a lot of blood. But for the most part, I was okay uh, physically. The brain trauma affected my short-term memory. Uh, people would tell me things, or people would come and visit to see if I was okay, or people would send gift baskets. And I, like, I would see the gift baskets and have no idea how they got there. And this would be like two or three weeks in. Uh, and then it got to the point, about three weeks after that, I would venture out of the house and like go sit places. And um, there was a lot to do with paperwork and insurance and getting lawyers and and like having to have these kinds of technical conversations and like scanning things and emailing things and I, I learned in in that um, in that experience I had to reteach myself how to use computer interfaces because I opened my MacBook one day and um, for you PC users out there uh, no jokes I looked at the interface and it was like it just didn't make any sense like where things were placed or that you could like touch the touchpad and the mouse would move on the screen and it was like a 90 year old person seeing a computer for the first time and then like oh so you push this forward and the thing on the screen moves up right forward and up 
like to recreate the correlation between pushing something in a forward direction and watching something go up. Clicking and then having things pop out of things. Re-understanding the concept that files were nested within files. Right, that just blew my mind and it was very challenging. So I got an iPad and that helped make things a little bit easier because it was at least it was touch screen and a little bit more intuitive. Did you have to reteach yourself everything, or was there a moment where it like all came back? There were, uh, or or moment. I, it was different with a lot of different things. Um, I remember there was one time I went to the grocery store because I needed to get pepper, uh, amongst other things, and my processing capacity was limited for the first few months. So if I would go someplace where there were a lot of repetitive ticky-tacky things on shelves that all looked the same but had slightly mm-hmm. different labels, I would just stand there stunned, not able to discern the information on each label quickly the way that, and it was frustrating because I knew that at one point I was able to do that. And I was like beating myself up for not being able to do it. Then I learned to be kind to myself and there was one time I went to Publix and I was looking for, I need to get pepper, and I was standing in the spice aisle looking at all of the little jars of spices and all of their neat organized little mm-hmm. rows. Keeping track of time was also a challenge. So it felt like a few minutes maybe and I was like trying to find pepper amongst all the things. I must have been standing there dumbfounded for a half hour and the same Publix employee walked by me several times and finally stopped to ask, sir, do you need help? And I said, yes, I do. Eventually I found the pepper, but there were things like that. I went into a container store one time, never go into a container store after having a brain injury. It had such an overwhelming sense of anxiety or not being able to navigate the spatial arrangement of the container store because everything in the container store is organized. Nothing stands out. It's everything the same size, and it's organized by size, by material, by color, and it was it just blew my mind. And as a as an architectural designer and as an urban planner at the time, because I couldn't create mental pictures in my head, I could not imagine what I was going to draw or design before I could draw or design it. And so, doing any kind of design work was near impossible. At least the way that I had learned how to do it. Then there was another time where, after I had my first out-of-body experience. But that's what I was going to ask. When was it during this 11, you said it was 11 months? Yeah, it was about 11 months. During that time that you were having these spiritual moments? Yeah. um, The first one. That's fascinating. I was in New York at a nightclub. And I've, I've told this story on the podcast before, but this was about eight weeks after the incident. I was able to walk around somewhat comfortably and went to go visit some friends in New York. But you were were having spatial and... Yeah, still kind of. So it was the first time that I was walking around the city with an actual map to try to figure out where I was, um, which trying to correlate a paper map as a a diagram of an actual three-dimensional space was also quite challenging. And now I understand what it's like to be somebody who's just not good at reading maps. Do you have somebody like guiding you through this process? Or were you on your own to kind of... They weren't... Okay, so I was told that I needed to go see a neurologist and I should go see a neuropsychologist who is a... So a neurologist is somebody that kind of checks on your brain health. A neuropsychologist is somebody who checks on 
how effectively you're using your cognitive function. And then I was prescribed to go see a cognitive behavioral therapist, which is like conventional psychotherapy, to have you replay incidents and see it from a position outside of yourself. Uh, all three of those practitioners were near useless. Mm-hmm. I went to see the neurologist, and I don't know, I thought, I figured maybe I would get some brain scans or some things like, you know, like, hey, let's see if this, if there's swelling, if there's anything we can check on. It was, I would go to this place and I would wait literally all day for this person to show up. This neurologist was always late or the schedule was so packed and patients would get rearranged. The management of the office was terrible. I would sit all day and then go see this person for 15 minutes. She would ask, okay, well, how are you feeling? I'd say, well, and I would describe what I was going through and she would take notes and again, okay. And that was it. And I was like, is there anything else? Like, is there, should I do something? Is there any, no, just come back in a week. And, and that was it. It was like just taking notes. The neuropsychologist was interesting because we did a lot of like crossword puzzles and looking at pictures. And I guess she was just gauging cognitive function. And then I would get these homework assignments to like solve crosswords and do like picture games, like uh, like in those old um, those kids magazines, like the hidden picture things. Um, and I, I didn't really find that particularly helpful. Uh, and then the cognitive behavioral therapist, the guy was very new to what he I think he had just graduated. I just found him very socially awkward, not a very was not very present. And then so all three of these people worked in the same office and I was told that, oh yeah, your insurance covers all of this. And then I later found out that my insurance covered none of it. So I paid for everything out of pocket. Uh, it took uh, it took a year to even get settlement money from the from the guy who hit me originally to cover some of the expenses. So I mean, it was a, it was a big financial hit. But I mean, money is money. It's like it comes and it goes. It's mm-hmm. not like I'm not, I don't suffer over that. Uh, but I learned a lot about what does work in terms of certain kinds of medicine or certain kinds of psychotherapy and I learned uh, what doesn't work and I learned how the system is set up, the healthcare system, in a way that I had never seen before had I not been through this. So what was it, what happened in New York? So in New York, so I went to go visit some friends, I was walking around um, the city for a while, one of my friends said, hey, um, we're going to go to this nightclub tonight. I don't identify as a nightclub person, I tend to stay away from those kinds of things. But it was like, okay, well, we're in town. We're there for a weekend. Let's just, we'll go to the nightclub. And I hadn't yet had an experience in a place that had like just crazy blaring loud music and flashing lights. It's a lot to handle. More so than the container store. So I was in this place for maybe 30 minutes, completely disoriented, and then suddenly began to zone out. And then this reality blended into some other aspect of reality I was not able to perceive before. And then you talk about the veil being lifted there were things here that ordinarily you cannot see and you cannot touch but they're here i don't just mean things i mean like beings and depending on how deep you go and i've gotten to this state in meditation intentionally but to like be blasted there with music i like get like the the appeal of a sound bath right like this was like the ultimate sound bath the dj dropped the bass and i just remember 
like the real the layers of reality kind of flip flopped, and so I was experiencing the solid stuff and the not solid stuff at the same time, overlaid on each other. And the only thought that triggered was, I need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so. I left the group. Of the physical space or of that state the, the, of mind? The, the physical space. The state of mind I was fine in. It was like I was witnessing what I was experiencing. I wasn't like fearful or blown away by anything in particular. I was like, wow, this is just really cool. Um, and at the same time, my body feels uncomfortable and something intuitively is telling me I need to leave the space. So I'm leaving the space. And I made my way toward what I thought was an exit. Walls are kind of illusory. Openings are kind of illusory. Um, I didn't tell anybody I was leaving the space. So I later found out that people were looking for me. I found what looked like an exit, made my way through a thing. There was a rope there that I didn't see. And so I was, I think I, I managed to get past this rope. And then I heard a voice that sounded like it was above water that was like, hey, you can't go that way. And then I felt my body get grabbed by the shoulder arm and then pushed against a wall. And I was watching my body get pushed against a wall. And I turned to look. So I'm like here looking and I'm there watching and there's nothing there. And I think I pushed back, which is a simplified version of saying I pushed the bouncer never push the bouncer my wife found me and she was like i i heard her voice above the water that was like hey leave him alone he has a brain injury he doesn't know what's going on and then i think i managed to get free i found a light i went toward the light never go toward the light, never go toward the light. <laughs> but i found the light and i went down what i thought were some stairs and i found what i thought was some door with some light coming through it and i pushed and I was outside, whatever outside is, because that's a concept. And then I, I found myself leaning against some fence, and I just kept my eyes closed. And when I, my eyes were closed, I was experiencing all the non-solid stuff. When I opened my eyes, it was both. And there was so much happening that it was a lot easier for my brain just to process one version of reality. So I kept my eyes closed. There were some, some people. Did you recognize the people? No. I, there were not all of them were human people, but they were there, and it was a lonely feeling place. It was like they were there were some beings there. Started out with maybe a dozen. When you're in that lonely place, thinking back, like the the mechanics of attention. When I give you attention, you feel acknowledged, and then love energy is exchanged. Love is given and received. There's an exchange, um, a, a connection. At that layer, whatever I was experiencing, that apparently is not really a thing that happens too often. So there were some beings just kind of there, and it was like, it was a very depressing feeling place. And that exists here too. When you're in a depressed state, you can be around people, but you can still feel lonely. Mm -hmm. So this was like that. The Soloveitchik has a whole thing about alone and loneliness mm -hmm. and the difference between the two. Yeah, so I'm there experiencing not seeing, but experiencing, because I, I don't have a vocabulary for how I saw them. And they didn't have form the way that this has form. And there was no light the way that this is lit up. It's amazing, man. There's no color the way that this is colored. But there was form, light, and some kind of color that I cannot describe. 
no sound, but I could hear what they were thinking, but not in real time with words. It was transmuted telepathically. And I gave my attention to them. I saw that they were there and they felt it and they all at once, I can't say that they turned to look at me because there's no turning mm -hmm. and there's no space, but they acknowledged me. They saw that they saw that I saw that they were there and they came and there was nothing to be afraid of because there's no fear. And I was there connected with these lost beings and they came and then the other ones that were in the distance, but there's no distance. They just, but they like came, but they did, they like apparated in, but there's no not being or being, they just showed up. Thousands of beings came and each one all at the same time, but yet experienced individually as though I were there for five years listening to their stories. I was able to hear, listen to, and acknowledge each lost soul. And I think I made it through like 30 of them. And they felt gotten. And then, gone. Each one one at a time? Yeah, melted into, they felt gotten, they were lost, they were confused, they didn't know what the fuck were they were there. They, some of them had the appearance of what they assumed that they looked like in whatever life they had gotten there from. Some of them were completely fucked up like they'd fallen from a building. This is not too far from the World Trade Center. Wow. And they, some of them didn't know what happened to them. Some of them were asked, can, like, they had unsaid things for their family members and they were just, they felt incomplete. And so in their passing, they just got stuck. They were attached. They were holding on to something. And so I was able to listen and be there with them and acknowledge and then it was like it's like when you get something off your chest and the weight lifts there when the weight lifts you would just move on they were probably still there but maybe became less dense or went to another layer or whatever these layers are right and there's like there's no like layer it's not like oh it starts and ends here it's like no it's just this reality is just a continuous range of densities just like have you been able to attain that consciousness again yeah not but not at that layer i've had several other experiences at various layers um that was one of the few times that i interacted with that many beings there were times i would be laying in bed and then pop out of body um and sometimes i would float around or sometimes i would just be in my body and experiencing other beings just being there with me while I'm laying in bed. My wife didn't like me sharing about that because it freaked her out that there were ghosts in the room just watching us sleep. For those of you listeners in Mindfulness of Doom, if you're hearing this, yes, ghosts watch you sleep. Sponsored by. <laughs> Sponsored by voyeuristic ghosts. Voyeuristic ghosts. Yeah, but sometimes not ghosts. Sometimes what we can... I don't know, we call them extraterrestrial beings, like peop like beings of higher intelligence that exist in these layers that are guiding you or protecting you in some way. How often are you able to tap into that? Uh, I don't go there anymore. I don't, it's been... Because you can or because you choose not to? I can, 
Uh, I choose not to. It's I've chosen to just focus my attention on other aspects of life. Um, I'm comfortable knowing that that is a part of this reality, and I'm also comfortable saying that I know that right now where I am is where I need to be. Um, so like a, I don't see it as like, hey, I have superpowers now, watch this, and then I just go there. Like it's not, it's not that kind of thing. Much in the same way, like when you get to a certain level of your spiritual development, yeah, you get certain kinds of intuitive insights, or um, I don't know, some people are able to manipulate matter or or light things on fire with their minds. Like I don't know how that works. Um, but the the superpowers are not the rewards for like it's not you don't seek spiritual enlightenment because you're going to get superpowers, right? Like you get things as uh, an expression of where you are or you get things as tools to help you get to the next phase of wherever you're going um, it's like um, you ever, have you played the new Zelda? I have not so like the new Zelda game this, uh, this, I'm just making this up as I go but in Breath of the Wild sounds like it <laughs> you don't just get one sword right like you pick up sticks arms uh, uh, rusty swords all sorts of things they have different um, abilities, different kinds of armor and shields and things, and they all break. And as you go through the world and you, you defeat monsters and you collect a new thing, you can use it for a while until it breaks. And you just you go through the entire game. Some things are really awesome and you want to hold on to them, but eventually they break when you use them and then you get to another part and you get some weaker shit, but it helps you through it. And so it's like you learn to not become attached to the sword you're using, but rather you just learn to be in the game and to, in that game in particular, you can go literally anywhere in the world at any time. There's no like predetermined path of like what you do before you do the next thing. It's a very great game because it's, it reflects what this life is like in some ways. It's like, well, I could go anywhere in the world at this point. And the more that you free yourself from the idea that life has a, a program that you're supposed to follow or a, an expected path that your parents or whomever outlined for you and that if you don't do it then you suck or you're going to fail or you're going to feel like shit. If you can break yourself free from that, you can go anywhere in the world and do anything and the more you free yourself and the more you explore and just be in life, the different kinds of tools come to you that you can use. And at that time, that was four years ago now almost? Three, three or four years ago, those tools were helpful for me because I was seeking that. I was seeking answers to what else is there. And now I'm at a point where there's no else. Else is a concept that I made up to distinguish something separate from this. Oh, what else is there? And it's like a form of entertainment seeking. I got my answers. Would you be able to... Would you have been able to conceive of and do mindfulness of doom without having had that experience? I don't think so. Um, I was at a point where I think I had said that I was satisfied with my life, but I really wasn't. Um, in a lot of ways, I was lying to myself about my own personal satisfaction and my own happiness. Um, that was a thing that I did for a while. I was of the, I had been cultured to smile even if I didn't, uh, even if I wasn't feeling it. Um, and at the time, I was uh, somewhat of a workaholic. I didn't really know how to stop. 
Um, and I was, I was breaking myself from that habit. I had started meditating about a year or two prior to all of this taking place. So I had those tools to carry me through this experience. Without mindfulness and meditation, I would have, I would have had no idea what I was looking at. Um, I would not have had the ability to just be in those experiences. I would have probably been resistant to those experiences. And if I were having them, I would have panicked, um, had an anxiety attack, or I probably would not have been able to have those kinds of experiences before, or would not have been able to have those kinds of experiences, period. My mind just would not have been open to it. The question that I was trying to... Yeah, that I think that I don't this know is if I answered me. the question. No, no, no. I'm jumping. Oh around no, this is amazing. No, yeah. My question, really, at the core of it, is: Do you think that you would have been able to have those experiences had you had your cognitive abilities at, at its full? Meaning, like, no. to what extent does our cognitive consciousness limit our ability to tap into the spiritual planes of existence? Yeah. So this is the thing, right? So we have a human mind, and as you acknowledged on the show, it's limited. I guess it, it, it right, has so a certain capacity for understanding. I don't care what your IQ is, you'll never see the, the God's paintball gun. Right? So was it like even Moses could not see God's face. Yep. He saw God's back. That was, okay, all right, all right, all right, God. Right? That, that was a lot. Um, it's just kind of like that. And so when you were on the bench and you were present, and you were connecting what you had learned and read with your experience in the moment and something new opened for you, your mind was blown. That's, I mean, that's right. the, the short of it. For it's sure. like, oh my God. And it, your mind gets blown. And the reason the mind gets blown is because the, the conventional cognitive processing, the thinking and understanding, the, the intellectual part, cannot keep up with the divine magnitude of what is before you. And so that part of the mind just shuts down. And then the part of the mind that can just be in the experience, if you're trained as an observer, you can be there, feel it, and get what there is to get in that moment. It takes having those kinds of experiences and learning how to be in those moments to then break through to whatever the next part of the Zelda map you need to get to. There, there's only so far that reading, conversation, intellectual understanding will get you. You have to go through, you have to be willing to experience with your full body what this world is about, or how it's made, or, or whatever it is. The, the words that I'm using don't do this justice, but you get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, it takes a willingness to go there. Some people are just not ready for it. Um, and they shut down at the cognitive level, at the intellectual level, and they say, okay, I understand what you're saying, and there's some barrier that they have that triggers them to say a follow-up line, which is, that's not for me, or I'm not ready for that, or I just can't be that spiritual. Whatever it is that they think about that, they're just not willing to open themselves or to religion it. is dumb. Right, or religion, so whatever. Like it's yeah, the, it's like, it's you, as soon as you label it, it shuts down. It, the mind-blown part of it is when the labels come off. And you're just there with it. And there's no like there's no defining it. Can you be in an undefined universe as it is and as it isn't? That's where the magic happens. And then with practice we learn how to somewhat describe these things with words so that we can maybe hopefully one day trigger other people to get what we have gotten because we are aware of the liberation that happens as a result. 
right? You rip the labels off of shit. There's no should. Like, my life should not be anything in particular. There's no expected path. I choose not to label it anymore. I'm just, I'm following my heart at this point, right? Like, I'm, I've fallen in love. I'm moving. I do this sort of thing. I keep a personal practice, not because I should, but because, like, I see this is the next place to go. This is what there is to do. I could just as easily sit on the mountaintop and be in silence and, but what service does that do? And so like in Jewish teaching, we come down from the mountain and we share the wisdom. But also in Jewish teaching, like not everyone's gonna get it. You'll come down from the mountain and they're down there with the fucking golden calf. And you're like, no guys, that's not the point. <laughs> it's, right? This, no, you're, you missed it. That's not what we're doing here, right? But for a lot of folks, it's easier to see the idol right like the jesus on the cross and be like oh yeah yeah i want to make sure that i please that guy it's not about people pleasing it's not about what you should do as a human being it's about just being human this is about existing and then that particular human being up there on the cross the way that he lived his life sets an example as to how you could live yours if you wanted to align yourself with unconditional love he was that flavor of spiritual enlightenment Moses was a different flavor of spiritual enlightenment. All of like the 20, how many Buddhas were different flavors of spiritual enlightenment. They all took different paths. It's an uncountable number, depending on which type of Buddhism you're talking about. Right. Thousands of Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, got to where they are and they still used personalities and their own languages and kept some aspects of their cultures to navigate the world the way that they do. That's an idea that you talked about, like Jesus on the cross. like being an example of how you could live. And that's one of one of my major complaints about Christianity. Most Christianity is the religion about Jesus, not the religion of Jesus. I think unfortunately most religions are that. Yeah. Most religions have taken right to just to use the Hebrew itself. the the yeah. Jewish context is like halakha, which is like the rules and the laws and all that other stuff. Like halakha has become Torah. Right, which I've heard from scholars beyond me, but that that the law, the tools, the practices have become the religious experience themselves. Right, Jesus has become the embodiment of that. But it's they're just different. They're different pathways and different tools and different yeah. lenses in which to there, tap there into a, what it is that we're talking about. There's a fantastic video of Stephen Fry at a talk. The question was is the Catholic Church a force for good in the world? He just blew it out of the water, and he was like, no, it's not. Because of this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, and he was very honest and open, and he wasn't angry, he was just very logical. You know, he's talking to a room full of people, and then there are Catholic priests on the dais right there with him, listening to the discussion. And they're all like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, it could be, but it isn't. It isn't because it shuts down personal liberties. It isn't because it's more concerned with keeping itself afloat and making money. You're supposed to be a force for good in the world, and you're doing some of the worst evil. You keep getting caught with this kind of shit, then your religion is, you're going to lose all the support that you've gained. Any of the good that they could be doing is being undercut by the fact that their rules they're so difficult to follow that the, you know, the quickest way to make a hedge grow is to trim it. Tell it no. 
And then that's the first thing people want to do. That's one of the problems that I see with religion is that there's so many no's that prevent people from following a path that is actually a good one. Having been in a monastery where there were like no sexual conduct and like you can't even, you're not even supposed to, to masturbate for as long as you're in that building or on that property. It's not a big deal if you're there for a weekend retreat, but if you're there for months and months and months, it it becomes an issue. You gotta keep it on lockdown. You gotta make sure that your desires don't start overcoming you. And that's a part of the training. But when you get so authoritarian about it, that people find other ways to vent. I don't see anything wrong with sexuality as a as an outlet. I think it's perfectly natural and healthy. And yeah, there's something to be learned from telling yourself no, but look what's happening when you force all these people to, to not follow what they're designed to do. And it's like, Jesus, like that's crazy. So so sexuality in particular, there, if let's say the abstinence route I can see how that could be one pathway toward enlightenment, so to speak, where, okay, so you're learning how to um, be with the desires and then reduce their power over you so that you can command that aspect of yourself, right? And then so you're getting more command over the self and that you're not swayed in any particular way. But I could also see how exploring and going right through sexuality can do the same thing if you can learn to command yourself in your sexual experiences there's just as much value in that sex or no sex it's all god what we're experiencing in this reality is through this body and whatever it's designed to to sense or pick up and so pleasure or no pleasure desire or no desire it's all god we're talking about the aspects of god and we can say there's like good and evil but it's all God. God can be evil too. And in the Torah, there is this, this God that floods the world. There's the God that says, okay, well, you need to then torch these people or you need to conquer this tribe and take over that. Like there's a God that does that shit. And then there's the benevolent loving God that's like, okay, well, you are my chosen people and I will guide you to your freedom and, and you shall love thy neighbor. And it's all part of the same shit. So you want to have sex, go have sex and make it an enlightening experience. If you're going to have sex, it's not, uh, it's not like a, fuck, I just need to do it to get a fucking ejaculatory release. It's, in my opinion and in my experience, that's, that's a waste of the experience. If you're going to have sex, be present with the other human being. Forge a connection. Be aware of what's going on in the body. Draw out the experience. Explore the sensations. Because deepening that experience lifts the veil. Fucking multiple orgasms for like 30 minutes straight? Holy fuck, dude. The veil just gets ripped off. And then not having sex for 30 years probably also lifts off the veil. But I can't speak to that one. Yeah, I don't know. I think that the whole... This this conversation doesn't happen in a vacuum. And the history here is that, you know, marriage has historically been a tool of the rich to bring landowners together to share property and money. Like it had nothing to do with love. Nothing about love or it had right. and, and even it has great tax benefits these days. Right. Well I mean even today it's still still holdovers of that in in our system and that that this idea even of monogamy of itself is 
based in that system of money and based in that system of like sharing wealth. The poor people 6,000 years ago weren't getting married. They were just going to a barn and doing it. They might pair up for life, but that was a thing that people were doing and not because you know they, there was a reason to do it monetarily. But nowadays, it's kind of gotten to the point, why is government so involved in this thing? Why are religion so involved in this thing? It's because there's so much money involved in it and it should have nothing to do with it. If you take away that aspect of it, the whole purpose of pair bonding gets a lot of the rug pulled out from under it. Not all of it, because I still think that people who couple should be allowed to couple, and I think that they should, they should do you should do what you want. But but then it just opens all these doors of us saying, well, why did we do this to begin with? Like why 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 <laughs> yeah. was all of this necessary? To it, make this so complicated. Like, look at divorce nowadays. Like, you just went through I one. just went through like, a divorce. how fucking hard was that for you? I mean, like, it was okay. It I just mean, took a while. It took a long time, but there, there's no reason that it needs to be like that. Right. But it's, it's because of all the money. Yeah. Well, I think about, like, so I can see... And it gets... It, I mean, I'm sorry to keep totally hammering on here, but it's like, all that money has nothing to do with religion, but religions are the ones who are interested in marriage. Yeah. I can see also on a on a spiritual pursuit, depending on where you are and what flavor of of spiritual growth you're seeking, um, how monogamy can be a great support as a tool in reducing distractions or deepening a connection with another being, which like they are a divine being as you are, and seeing another as oneself and being committed and unconditional in love, and I can also see how. Uh, marriage can be a distraction from a certain flavor of spiritual development. Uh, it depends on what you're going after, and it's like, well, monogamy or marriage, whatever. These are these are tools that we acquire uh, in the Zelda map of life, and then when they break, they break. Like when they no longer serve you in what you're up to, then you can you can dismantle it or you can choose to stay committed to the path that you're on if you want to keep this thing with you, right? And it's how you play the game is how you play the game. I've got some swords in that game now, man. I picked up, like, weeks ago. Have you finished it yet? No, man. I've, I've only opened up, like, a quarter of the map. It's amazing. You know, I was running around with three hearts because I didn't know praying at the goddess statues could get you more hearts. I'm, like, fighting these heavy things killing me in one shot and I learned how to dodge really well <laughs> and then I traded like well, 20 me, spirit orbs all let, at once let me give you a little bit of advice about that game as far as the exploration is concerned spoiler alert no no spoilers okay I would recommend not to explore all of the map. I would recommend that you don't go, all right, well, I just want to see the rest of the map. Mm -hmm. Because then suddenly when the whole map is open to you, that sense of wonder starts to leave you a little bit. And you start to get more interested in like checking off the boxes of completing the quests. The mm -hmm. exploration kind of dies a little bit. Dude, I find all the, all the chests and all of yeah. like I love to collect the things. Yeah. And so, I want to like... So, I'm afraid to trade items for to make other items because what if I need these items? Oh yeah, you can buy a, you can buy houses in that game. Yeah, that's it's a, it's a, a microcosm of life. It is incredible. Anyway, but, yeah. let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's bring Adam back into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you're not it. a you're not a video game guy, are you? I am a video game guy. I've been playing the Spider-Man game, which has been really fun. Yeah.
Oh, the, the new one? The new one, yeah. Oh, wow. On PS4. We have PS4. Never got into a Zelda, though. Um, that's a wild story, man. Yeah. So, and then there, I mean, there are so many layers to it, but like, so I hadn't, um, I hadn't consumed any sort of like mushrooms or like any like hallucinogens up to that point. In retrospect, I had an experience of what it was like to be in that state of mind without the actual substances. There was one time I got in the kind of state of mind where like just the lid got blown off of everything. There's really no other way to say it. We're both getting calls right now. Oh, are we? Yeah. Oh, wow. Hold on, let's take them. Hey, this is Brian. Welcome to Mindfulness of Doom. Welcome You're on the air. You're on the air, Christina. Hold on, I'm putting you on speaker. Christina, we're, we're on Mindfulness of Doom, and you're now being recorded. Do you have anything to say to our listeners? Well, I'm at a restaurant, so um, I'm going to mindfully eat my food very soon. <laughs> okay. Um, but I just want to say, hey, everybody. I hope you guys are really enjoying this podcast. And, uh, yeah. Okay. That's all I can really say. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for thanks uh, for calling in. Yeah. yeah no worries. Yeah. I I didn't realize I was calling in. That's but, okay. Can um, I help you with anything? You can, but I think it's probably better if I talk to you the after podcast, the podcast. Okay. Sounds good. You're do, you're doing the meditation at the Happiness Summit tomorrow night at six, right? I am. I'm very excited about that. Awesome. I, and we'll um, we'll be there with our equipment. Oh, wonderful. I'm I'm I'll be closing the day with mm-hmm. the meditation and um, hope everybody can join. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Um, I just wanted to say one thing about the, uh, us all being divine and God having different attributes and all that other stuff that there's, a, it's like pretty prevalent throughout the Zohar about this idea that human consciousness, right? The experiences and the awareness that we have of our own self is a mirrored example of God meaning right, that we are created in the image of God is like the biblical thing, but like, what does that mean? Is that all of those attributes and all those manifestations of divine characteristics and traits and emotions are mirrored in our own consciousness and in our own, th- in our own selves and in our own experience of the world around us and through the experiencing of the world around us and through mindfulness in reality, right? All the laws, everything that we have, it's actually about being mindful. Like that's the crux of our, the whole Jewish experience. So all of that is about through the mindfulness and through the realization of our of our own existence, are we able to have a connection and begin to understand the infinite? Yeah. And it's like that the duality of and connection of both of those things. Yeah, the the human being is an aspect of the divine. Yeah. It's just one side of the ball. At, at some point, I think it was like 2010. I went on the birthright trip, mm-hmm. and I hadn't thought about it before. But at some point, somebody brought up. No, I was talking to a rabbi um, about the via hafta, which is the blessing you say after the Shema. And I hadn't really thought about it, um, but then it, it literally says, uh, by the way, um, whenever, you, uh, whenever you pass through a gate, you know, think, think of God. Uh, whenever you're with your children, you know, teach them about God. It's whenever it's, and it lists off a, a bunch of things that you could be doing when you should remember that this is a divine experience. And so it's customary, and it, if you keep to that teaching, it's like, shit, like every, if I turn that doorknob, I'm like, holy fuck. And then like, to actually be aware of it, like I might do that in slow motion and then watch the matter move and acknowledge that with this form I can move shit. 
<laughs> like this. Um, yeah, it's like that for everything. Through yeah. the laws of kosher, the dietary laws and restrictions yeah. that we have, it's actually about being cognizant and, and aware of, of our impact on the world around us and the world around us impact on ourselves. Yeah. The, the bottom line is just be aware. Yeah. Like, be present. Don't forget. And if you do forget, acknowledge that you forgot and then come back. Right? It's, it's a meditation. Life is a meditation. So everything that you do, if you're going to do work, be mindful that you're doing work and you're creating. Act of creation is, is a divine thing. It is a reflection of the nature of God. And so making this podcast is a work of God. Holy shit. We're holy doing podcast. God's... Holy podcast, Batman. We're doing God's holy work. <laughs> right? And, it, and every podcast is that. And every podcast is a different flavor. And it's all aspects of God. God has... God comes in many podcasts. So my, my English student is Japanese. I gave her homework of translating one of her, song, her son's rock band's songs. And the line was something like, creation is a form of excretion. And we were talking about the word creation. Creation can be a noun, meaning the universe that was created by a creator. Mm-hmm. Or it can mean the act, a verb to create a, 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 an art piece. And then we were talking about the word uh, to excrete. You know, she was laughing because, like, you know, it's like, oh, poop, <laughs> poop jokes. Then you think about it, and you know, it's like, wow, that's that's actually a really good line. Like, is you know, the universe is an excretion of something, and so is art. So is the the making of anything, the doing of anything, can be cosmically beautiful, but also physically revolting. It's interesting that the creation is the effect. The creation is the, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the creation, the excretion is the effect and the creation is the cause. Like it's the, you know what I'm saying? Like you create with intent. Yeah. And then excretion comes out. And you out. excrete is the byproduct. Wait, Rabbi. Oh boy. Are we allowed to poop on Shabbat? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> All right, good. Thank you. Yeah, maybe course, that'll be yeah. the secret crack. <laughs> of course, there's actually a there's a, an idea that there's like a positive commandment of of procreating on Friday night. On yes, Shabbat, you get about it's emulating. A, it's a double, you get double, double points. You get double points. Sarah's really excited about that one. Yeah, yeah because yeah, if it's the day point. of creation that commemorates the act of creation, oh. we emulate that. It's again back to this whole thing about emulating God and being a part of the... I look forward to Fridays. I look forward to all days. Yeah. Guys, it's almost 5 o'clock and I must go. This yeah. was awesome, guys. Thanks. I'm really glad we connected. I am too. Look forward to speaking more with you whenever you're back. Thank you. We invite you to like, subscribe, and rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever. Have suggestions, music, or artwork for the show? Want to sponsor our podcast? Find our contact page and links to the items we talked about in this episode at www.mindfulnessofdoom.com. Become a supporter of our podcast at patreon.com slash mindfulnessofdoom and get access to exclusive content that's not on the show. This podcast is recorded in Miami, Florida. It is written, recorded, and edited by Brian Lemmerman and Corey Hardacre. Our music is provided by Pallet Town and Suitcase Music. They can be found at soundcloud.com slash town and at suitcasemusic.bandcamp.com. All poorly thought out opinions are ours. Nothing you hear in this podcast should be construed as professional medical advice. 
Go see a therapist. All of you. Wait, Rabbi. Oh boy. Are we allowed to poop on Shabbat? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay, great. <laughs>